everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 85 of the show, wrapping up the month of February 1965 with the three big players of the Marvel lineup of the day. We're going to have Fantastic Four and Avengers and Spider-Man all coming at you in this hour and change. Wow, just in one episode? Right. I don't even know how we're going to do it. That is just too much. I think if we go too long, you should just play the podcast at like 1.25 speed and then it'll be like the regular time length. I sometimes think about listening to podcasts that way and I think I could pull it off, but I haven't actually done a whole episode. I don't do audiobooks at higher speed, but I do standard. My standard podcast listening is at 1.5. Is it really? Yeah. So everybody has a higher pitch voice than you really than they really do? It doesn't increase the pitch. It I guess it has some sort of algorithm of like cutting out tiny bits of sound to make everything Hmm. go faster. So it doesn't actually compress the sound waves. It just makes the sound go by more quickly somehow. Oh, that's kind of cool. I should try that. Um, so yeah, we, we are talking about the fantastic four tonight. I'm excited about this one, although I'm going to have words to say because this cover commits a sin. Does it? Yeah. Remind me of that once we've finished the synopsis because it'll make more sense once we've done it. This is of course not a dream. Not an imaginary tale. It had to happen sooner or later. At last, the fabulous FFR defeated by the Frightful Four. Oh, no. We didn't even know what a Frightful Four was two months ago. <laughs> so it didn't, it didn't really have to happen sooner or later. <laughs> uh, you're right. I thought they were in last issue. I was wrong. You're right. That was the Scrolls last issue, huh? Mm-hmm. But they sure are making a comeback fast. Yes. So defeated by the Frightful Four, introducing Mike. One of the most unpredictable villains of all time. <laughs> Wait this till you a- see the Trapster. Yeah. What a con. <laughs> the gang in the bullpen feel that this startling epic is one of the supreme achievements of the Marvel Age of Comics. We hope you will agree. Okay, yeah, it's a pretty good comic. Presented by the most honored names in all of comicdom. Stan wow. Lee writer, Jack Kirby illustrator, Chick Stone inker, and Sam Rosen letterer. If they don't say so themselves. Right? I mean, it's we are pretty fantastic. <laughs> we are honored. We are honored to be ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I got I to gotta remember that for Twitter or something. Right. Yeah. Well, somebody in a book or a show or something, somebody important introduced themselves as, I am honored to be blah, 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 blah. <laughs> They're like, that's how yeah. they introduce themselves. I'm like, wow. That's okay. great. Colbert Report, probably. All right. So, Fantastic Four are, or at least the boys, the Fantastic Three boys, are standing on this huge blown-up photograph of Kirby Tech taken from the Scroll Home World. They're trying to understand what they have seen. They've got these photographs that are like, like so much larger than an actual human body. It's kind of insane. So um, Susan is feeling kind of playful, so she sneaks up behind her new fiancé, all invisible, and like ruffles his hair, tickles him, and says, hey, got you. And uh, she's like, oh, let's go over our wedding plans. And so Reed is all cute and playful. I may not be able to see you, but I'll still teach you not to go around mussing my hair, young lady. Would you rather I muss some other man's hair? And um, J- uh, Johnny's like, oh, my gosh, mushy stuff. going to turn into a fire. And, and Thing is like, oh, boys stick together. Going to grab this woman. And he turns Sue over his knee. <laughs> 
And she turns visible before he can do what he's about to do. Benjamin J. Grant, if you don't get out of my way this instant, I'll never speak to you again. And uh, so, yeah, so he throws her back at Reed. And that cute, playful moment ends with Johnny cutting out to go and look for his friends. Um, Oh, no, he's going to go take Dory for a soda. Rare mention of Dory Evans in the Fantastic Four. While he's out flying around, he does not notice a purple flying figure over in the sky a little ways away. This is, of course, the wingless wizard who flies down toward a cabin. I wonder if it's the same cabin where the Fantastic Four were staying back in issue two. You know what? Sure looks like it. In my head, it is the same cabin. Um, Totally the same cabin. The wizard flies down and Sandman's like, what's that? And shoots out a whole bunch of sand in a big old giant sandy fist and grabs the wizard. I'm your leader, the wingless wizard. What are you doing, you fool? And Sandman's like, some leader. Look how easy I caught you without even half trying. Um, So all of the Frightful Four are there together, including the Trapster. Sure enough, Paste Pot Pete has gone from carrying or wearing a container of glue and shooting it with a glue gun to having pockets and pouches full of glue-based weaponry and gadgets. So now he is a trap guy with glue rather than um, a glue guy. So yeah, that's a whole thing. Um, all the Frightful Four are talking about how they're so awesome and the wizard's like, dude, I'm the leader. I'm the only one strong enough to lead the Frightful Four. And he causes some sort of wind thing that knocks Medusa and um, the Trapster and Sandman off on their butts. Anyways, the next day, Susan is at her hairdresser's, I think, or maybe her stylist who's going to. um, Oh, yeah. They have this new designer waiting to make Susan's clothing for the um, the wedding. She has long red hair that comes to life and captures Susan Storm. Before Sue can turn invisible and escape, however, Trapster walks in with his old famous glue gun and shoots a tendril of glue around Susan Storm, trapping her. They kidnap her and take her away. And a few hours later, it's all over the newspaper. Susan Storm (laughs) abducted by the Frightful Four. Nightmarish coup carried out in full view of horrified populace. The thing snags a paper, takes it back to Fantastic Four headquarters, and um, they've already heard about it. Reed Richards is on a tear trying to find the Frightful Four, and he's not having any luck. Meanwhile, we see the Frightful Four in a sphere taking Susan Storm to this random isolated island where they have a trap door installed and a headquarters underneath. Um, Reed Richards... uh, Gets a blip on his radar screen, an unidentified flying object. They go after it. They see that it's a sphere from the Frightful Four. They grab it, but there's nobody inside. It changes course. Um, they it, it takes them and traps them. I'm sorry, there's no one inside. There actually is the Frightful Four inside. It traps all of the Fantastic Four. Um, no, it doesn't. I'm sorry. It, it just, only traps the torch. Yeah, only traps the torch. It traps the torch. And flies away. So now Reed and Ben have to go and ca- and save the torch, as well as Susan. So they get their pogo plane. They follow the sphere-shaped capsule to the isolated island. They land the pogo plane, but the fa- Frightful Four blow it up as it's landing. So Reed and Ben emerge from the wreckage. Uh, they grab Johnny and rescue him from the capsule. He bursts into flame. 
Um, there's a fight between the three men and the Frightful Four. Susan finally escapes from the glue. It's hardened, and so she uses her force field bubbles to like get between the glue and her wrists and cause the glue to expand until it breaks. Um, she goes upstairs to where the uh, surface of the island is, and all the Fantastic Four lose to the Frightful Four. They're on this island. The Frightful Four are able to get into their little sphere and fly away. And a bomb on the island blows up and explodes, leaving the Fantastic Four in a uh, a force field ball, which Susan was able to create just before she lost consciousness. And um, it ends with them floating in the ocean. And the thing has changed back partly to a, a scaly-faced Ben Grimm, but they're all unconscious in the bubble as our issue ends. So, whoa, um, that, that was a good one. Yeah, it's a pretty fantastic issue. Like the first frightful story was all right. Uh-huh. This frightful four story was pretty fantastic. Really fun. I can't remember the last time Fantastic Four was this good. So this was a good right? one. That was one of my comments. Like, honestly, it's been an occasionally a good book. Mm-hmm. I have not loved the Fantastic Four for this podcast. Yeah. And I think when people think about Silver Age Fantastic Four and how great it is, I think they're thinking about from this issue forward. Probably. Because I was wrong two issues ago because I get this Frightful story, Four story and that Frightful Four story mixed up sometimes. But this Frightful Four story and them getting abandoned on the island starts a series of continued adventures that are going to take us past Galactus. And it's it's one long epic. And there's lots of good stuff. There's Inhumans. There's Black Panther, Silver Surfer, Galactus, of course. Lots of good stuff coming down the pike. Yeah, like I... I know this is their flagship title probably, right? Even yeah. still. But like – and I think they've consistently been pretty good about the off-action scenes. I've always kind of enjoyed those. Their yeah, the characterizations and stuff and their between characterizations. each other. Yeah. Right. Those are all very on point and awesome. It's just usually the plots are kind of groan-worthy a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Either they're okay or they're really bad. And sometimes they're really good. This was a really good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not trying to naysay the Fantastic Four at all. I just think that, no. like, I think that the stuff that really gets people's blood flowing about this book is stuff that we are going to start covering, not yeah. something we've already covered. It's ramping up. Yep, yep, yep. So I said that the cover of this issue commits right. a sin. Okay. It is my opinion that one of the cardinal sins of covers in comics is when you put your end of issue story beat on your cover. Hmm. I feel like the end of the issue and that dramatic point is supposed to get you to come back next month. Whereas the cover is supposed to get you to pick up the cut, the issue this month and using the same story beat for both. I feel like it's cheap it, it it actually makes the end of the issue less exciting because you've already seen it. Mm-hmm. And isn't there something else in the course of this issue that could have been good enough to put on the cover? Well, and outside of that, it's just not a very dramatic cover. You got like the Fantastic Four super tiny and you got the Frightful Four in a uh, an eight ball, essentially. Yeah, so. I kind of feel like it's like the, the Legion's ship. Yeah, but like it, w- it would have been cooler if it was just like a... F- all four of the all four on four fighting that would have made me pick it up, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a lot of fighting in this of them going toe to toe with each other. 
Yeah, and some really cool fight scenes, too. Or maybe a picture of them kidnapping Sue or something. I don't know. Yeah. Which, by the way, <laughs> uh-huh. how many times can we kidnap Sue in this book? Uh, yeah, she does seem to be the Bucky Robin of the book. But it's also funny like how Reed goes so crazy. He's like, I knew it. I knew if I publicly loved somebody, they'd use it against me. And it's like, yeah, but... I hope you would also feel just as concerned if Thing or Human Torch was kidnapped because they're all your team members. So even if they don't know you love her, this should still worry you. And also he's wrong. They did not kidnap Sue because she's Reed's love affair. Right. They kidnapped Sue because she's part of the team. Yes. Now, she's the part of the team that always gets kidnapped, but that's a separate point that's, you know, frustrating. But they did not – I think his comments there are actually cheapening – Susan uh-huh. Storm's place on the team. I think they kidnapped her first because they know she's the most powerful. So let's get her out of the way. Yeah, I, I like that read a lot better. That R-E-A-D read a lo- of, mm-hmm. of, of events a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, that said, Fantastic Four, anytime you are invited to something, could you please be a little more suspicious? Because seriously, that plot has been used so many times in this book and in, and in Human Torch's solo book. Like... Let's invite him to this awesome fair. Let's invite her over to um, design dresses or whatever. And it's like, it's always a trap. Fantastic Four. How did they get this job? Like, was she invited to this particular place? Says, when I received your call, I was so thrilled I rushed right over. Okay. So, so this is not like a She didn't set up the appointment. Business. No. It's like someone calls her and goes, I want to design something for you. Okay. I'll be right over to be trapped. Right. Right. Okay. My my, my initial impression was that this was some legitimate design studio and they had somehow gotten Medusa a job there. And I was like, how did how did you manage to make this happen? But that's that not- said, and it's still probably true with this issue, I wasn't super interested in Medusa last time. Mm-hmm. And this time, I don't know if she does a whole lot better, but I do think this trap scene makes her look pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty great Medusa move. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, I don't know if we talked about this much last time. Um, of course, Medusa is eventually going to be revealed to be one of the Inhumans. Mm-hmm. The events that led her to live in the cave where she is found by the wizard yeah. don't get revealed for decades. Wow. They don't tell that story. You'd think it'd be one of the first stories you would tell, especially when they do a series of backup issues in Thor to explain the origin of the Inhumans. You would think telling how she got to be found, you know, by the wizard would be one of the things you'd want to tell, but they don't tell that story for a really long time. That kind of just tells you how often, like, writers were readers at some point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, some kid read that and he's like, well, how'd you get in the cave? And then someday I will be a professional. Right, right. <laughs> and I will tell that story. <laughs> or I'll be Roy Thomas and just really like connecting dots between right? all my favorite characters. Yeah, I'm just going to read 1965 all over again and plug every plot hole. Because <laughs> that's what he did. <laughs> yep. But, you know, we, we kind of, I, I don't know. I love that oh, stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, me too. As long as you it's see. an enjoyable read, because it's not always an enjoyable read. But, as uh, you know, tying stuff together from previous parts of continuity always makes me go yay. Some guys are good at it. Some guys are just monotonous at it. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thomas Roy, is a good one. Roy Thomas tends to be one of the better ones. Definitely. Um, I need to uh, I need to share his interview that I got. I need to put that on the stream somewhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, don't spank adults like ever. 
Well, I don't know about you, but you know, when me and my friends are at my house and we're pushing the wife around, sometimes they spank her. It's just normal. Yeah, they just they just put her over their knee, right? And spank yeah. her right there in front of God and everybody. It's all good fun. By the way, Thing also tried to spank Gene, so that's just like his go-to move with the ladies, I guess. Yeah, I'm not impressed with Gene, with with uh, Ben Grimm as any kind of feminist or, you know, a forward thinker at all. Well, and nor do we expect him to be, I guess. I guess, but still. <laughs> um, I also think it's funny that Johnny's move was to try and burn his sister alive. That was a little weird, but hey, interesting wrestling. He's he's just so used to them dodging his flame, he forgets that this is actually death. That I'm, I, I am made out of death. <laughs> and if I touch Dude, you, you will die. <laughs> I, I want that t-shirt. I am made out of death. Right. <laughs> Don't touch me. I am death walking. <laughs> I am death walking. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah. Um, spanking adults. And it's always women. It's never men. No one ever spanks adult sure. men. But spanking adult no. women as if they were recalcitrant children is just a really bad trope. Sometimes they spank the uh, child sidekick, but that's not great either. No, no. But yeah, that's... that's Batman. <sighs> anyway. Um, for the record, I am still reading Medusa's admiration of these guys as sarcasm. They just don't get it. Um, I could believe that. Like, she's working with them. You know, this is where she's currently finding her lot in life. But I don't think she's nearly as impressed with these guys. The Trapster. Your new name has a thrilling ring to it. And you look most impressive in your new costume, my handsome one. Yeah, none of that's, none of that's sincere at all. Even a little bit. I do like the Trapster better than Pace Pot Pete, though. Oh, so. like 75 times. Yeah, so it's cool to finally get to that point. They are awfully purple, though. Like, I don't know. Yeah, Not thinking the color. They have become the fuchsia foursome. <laughs> I mean, I know they're trying to be like Fantastic Four. They're all blue. But for some reason, the purple just blows up every panel. Like they need to change that up. Ch- pick a different color. Are they always purple? I don't remember the Frightful Four being matchy-matchy like this. But maybe they are. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, this is how I picture them. Um, actually, no, because the Sandman is going to get like a green costume around mm-hmm. issue 60-something of this book. And he's still in the Frightful Four after that. I don't think Bronze Age Frightful Four has matching looks. Okay, good. It's like not when working. they get like Titania and other people on the on the team. I don't. Yeah, I don't think they look mm. the same after that. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah, I mentioned that they did not capture Sue because you love her. They may capture because. All right, he has paralysis paste. Like, the trapster. Yeah, page yeah, seventeen. He's got, he's got new things like because he does the whole like uh, he throws a thing on the top of wizard's helmet that knocks him over too because it sticks to the helmet so right. it's like it's a very loose power he has now he can do bombs and st- as long as it sticks it's still the trapster he has a little thing that i guess he flicks like a big lighter and this this little green blob comes off and wraps itself around the sandman it was supposed to be the torch but he misses mm-hmm. and uh then medusa's like it's gonna be at least 10 minutes before this trapster's paralysis paste wears off of him god i have to cushion his fall oh by the way, the Trapster just beat the Sandman. That seems pretty awesome. Yeah. Sandman's hard to beat, isn't he? Usually. Usually hard to beat. I guess right. he wasn't expecting the friendly fire from Trapster, though. Yeah. Somehow his sand can be paralyzed by this green goop, I guess. Oh, yeah. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, he has no nerves, but that's okay. Whatever, right? <laughs> right. Um, okay. So let's play a game. Mm-hmm. What will break first? Glue or wrists? Yeah. 
I guess it depends on where she's putting the pressure, but it looks like it's all over her whole hand. Yeah, but I, I, I've got to think, okay, I guess one way she could do it is if mm-hmm. she's able to get the force field between her wrists. Right. And then she just pushes like up and down. Per- yeah. Per- uh, perpendicular to her wrist, like on the, on the glue mm-hmm. opposite directions. Because if she's trying to squeeze between her wrists and the glue, mm-hmm. I don't know that her wrists are going to survive that. No. So she must've done it the way we're thinking because she got out. <laughs> That's exactly but- what I She wasn't done the right way because she's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, this is this was a pretty fun issue, and uh, it has a really cool cliffhanger ending. Ben Grimm Very. is changing back into his human self somehow, some way, and we don't know what's going to happen next. But lots of stuff is going to happen next. And as plans go, it's a pretty good villainous plan too. Like lure them onto this island where there's nowhere else they can go and blow it up. Yeah, that's awesome. Or even just pretty like simple. leave them there. If they had stopped there, that would be a pretty good plan. Mm-hmm. But blowing it up is extra good. But Johnny Storm can fly, so maybe oh, yeah. he can get away. And Reed can stretch. And Reed could turn into a boat, and yeah, they could push it off or something. Blowing it up know. is definitely a good move. Yeah, I liked it. It's a cool ending. And I'm really interested in this whole Ben Grimm being Ben Grimm thing. So mm-hmm. Because it's obviously not just a come and go thing, because it's like part of the drama for getting us to the next issue. Uh-huh. But does that, uh, does that wrap us up for that one? I think it does. That's a contender for best of the month, maybe. Mm -hmm. We'll see. We're going to find out tonight. Um, But now I have to do Avengers, which could Uh also be good, maybe. The Avengers is is like, like, when is the Avengers good and when is it not? It's interesting. Yeah, so far, not a lot. But we are on Avengers 15. So this is the last issue of the full – oh, I was going to say original team, but that's already not true, Captain America. Never mind. But – this is it, fellas. This is going to be the one right before the one. Um, the thriller you never expected to see now by my hand shall perish a villain. Um, and it is proudly produced by the most heralded names in comicdom. Okay, Stan. Script Stanley, layouts Jack Kirby, pencils Don Heck, inking Mike DeMio, and lettering Artie Semek. And how does it start? It starts with the Avengers wrapping up a meeting. Thor is the chairman of the month. He says month. I think it used to be week or something. But hey, whatever. Um, they all go their separate ways. Jan and and Hank go on a date. Thor turns back to Donald Blake. Hey, that rhymed. Here's something really cool. Captain America becomes Steve Rogers. In, like, trench coat, not just taking his mask off, but, like, trench coat, suit. He's even got, like, a little art dossier thing that he's hiding the shield in. And he and Rick go out um, to, like, find work, I guess, because he's tired of just being an Avenger all the time. Um, Iron Man stays behind because, of course, he lives there. They all wonder why he's always staying last. But, yeah, he lives there. Anyway, cut to Baron Zemo. He's still in the Amazon jungle, still being carted around by a bunch of natives and slaves. Um, Captain America writes a letter to Colonel Nick Fury asking if he can work in espionage with him. I don't know if he says the word shield. No, no shield, but counter espionage unit. Yeah, the counter espionage unit. And he's thinking, well, you know, I used to be in the war and I am a super soldiery guy. Maybe I can do help do this. And he puts the mail in the mailbox. And as he's there, he sees in the taxi cab the executioner and the enchantress. Um, he desperately tries to follow. There's this really cool scene where he's like running through the streets, jumping on light posts and lamp posts and stuff as Steve Rogers in like a trench coat and a fedora, which is pretty awesome. Um, 
Entrantius catches him, though, and does a little hexy spell, and he ends up falling, so he can't follow them. They get back home, and in the crystal ball, Baron Zemo's like, with his head, floaty head, like, I have need for you again. We need to be the masters of evil once more. <laughs> anyway, Cap goes back to the Avengers and says, I saw those guys in a cab, so we should brace ourselves for impact, essentially. And as he's saying that, they hear this weird rurry noise, and they look around and go, hey, what's going on? They go outside, and Rick is being tractor beamed into an airplane or something so the guys who can fly wasp iron man and thor try and go after him but the plane also shoots a bomb at them um the bomb hits iron man and thor they don't die but it doesn't make them feel good so they fall out of the sky um giant man tries to stop them using cap shield by throwing it like a giant but it bounces off the plane's force field. Little do they know, though, that the Wasp has managed to bypass the bomb and sneak inside. So they've got Rick. These Baron Zemo soldiers have got Rick, and they're taking him back to Baron Zemo land. Um, Meanwhile, uh, Iron Man... So while they're all on the ground, Cap has his giant man slash Reed Richards panic moment for the love of his life. But he pulls it together because he's Captain America, and Iron Man summons with his cool transistory technology a uh, uh, XL750 rocket plane, which sounds awesome. But meanwhile, back in prison, the Black Knight and the Melter in full costume are hanging out when the Executioner and the Enchantress free them. They all go to attack the fan or the avengers i was gonna say fantastic four they see the xl 750 rocket flying around black knight attacks it first uh thor comes out they get into a big fight um then from below the melter shoots through the floor so iron man flies out to fight with the melter so there's a bunch of back and forth there giant man jumps out and he sees with his big giant eyes the executioner and the enchantress so he goes after them but while they're running away from him wasp in her tiny form trips the executioner with some oil slick but then she gets knocked out by the enchantress's spell but that makes giant man mad so he's chasing them some more all this going on captain america just keeps on flying because he wants rick so he's still on the jet all the avengers are down on the ground fighting the other masters of evil cap keeps flying with the jet to this Amazon jungle. And as he approaches, I guess that was the plan the whole time was to shoot him down. So there's Baron Zemo like, shoot him, shoot him. And all these big cannons fire. But Cap and the XL750 kind of easily slip through it. But the other part of the plan is to then have uh, Rick Jones propped up in this glass hamster jar and, like, hopefully Captain America kills him on accident because Cap's shooting back. But Cap's reflexes stop him from shooting too much, just enough to break the glass. He then parachutes out of – oh, I don't know how I want to do this. Okay, let's cut back. We cut back to New York where everybody's fighting still. Um, it kind of comes to a standstill. And then Executioner's like, hey, you don't really want to fight us right now because you're going to injure a lot of people. And Thor's like, we don't care about that. Avengers assemble. But then it cuts back to the to Amazon jungle. Cap's parachuting in. He gets a hold of Rick. Uh, Zemo and his men attack. Captain America sh- throws a shield at a rock, which Zemo goes, ha ha, you missed me. But he's like, no, I didn't. And the rocks fall down and separate Zemo from his other soldiers. So now it's just Cap versus Zemo. But Cap, I mean, Zemo has this cool, like, ray gun. And he's about to kill Cap with it. And Cap's like, boy, even my shield can't stop that ray gun because it hasn't been established that it's indestructible yet. So he instead uses the sun to glint 
off his shield and blinds Zemo. Zemo shoots up like, ah, I'm blind. And he shoots up and he hits a rock and it comes tumbling down more rock. And it pretty much like buries him to death while Cap uses his shield to shield himself and Rick. And so Zemo's dead. And Cap and Bucky are like, I'm sorry. Cap's like, I've avenged you, Bucky. And then he puts his arm around Rick and they walk away. And we don't really see what happens to the Avengers and the rest of the Masters of Evil who are about to fight. So that's to be continued, sort of. But it kind of doesn't, like, end that way. It's just in the middle of the story. It it ends on a different note. Like, you have that bit with the Avengers facing over the Masters of Evil, but then you don't call back to that at the end. No. So it's like this cool, like, Baron Zemo ending. But meanwhile, when you're done reading, you go, hey, wait a minute. There's more. And there's going to be more next issue. Exactly. Yeah. So cool. This was a good one, too. Yeah, yeah. This is building up to the big changeover, which gets teased in the next issue box. There's going to be a mm-hmm. roster change next issue, and this two-parter is what takes us there. Right, because um, the Masters of Evil are going to kill Thor, Iron Man, Giant Man, and Wasp, and they're going to need new Avengers. Right, right. We've got Iron Man. He dies, giving up his life. Um, Thor's going to go off and be a, an Asgardian of the galaxy. And, <laughs> right. Um, you know, she's got lots of changes in the universe mm-hmm. here. So, um, okay, so I had a random thought while you were uh, doing the synopsis. Mm-hmm. I had said last episode that, according to the official Index of the Marvel Universe, that Tony Stark story, um, I'm sorry, that the Tony Stark involvement in the first S.H.I.E.L.D. chapter is set before all this. Mm-hmm. Now... When you read this issue and Captain America expresses an interest in um, Nick Fury's counter espionage unit, I had took that as being a reference to the fact that he works for the CIA. We know that he works for the CIA. We've seen that in the Fantastic Four. Yes, exactly. But if, you know, maybe the motivation for putting the first chapter of S.H.I.E.L.D. in earlier continuity is to say that the counter-espionage unit is S.H.I.E.L.D. Lee is already planning that storyline. They just haven't put it into effect yet. Mm-hmm. And they're teasing it here. Yeah, that's what I thought. So I, I like that. I like that idea that, you know, even though the readers have no idea what a S.H.I.E.L.D. is, they're mm-hmm. already making plans to put that series into effect. I'd like to think that's true. I guess we'll never know. But Yeah, I guess we'll never know. That's how I read it, but that's just because I also know what's coming. So Right, right. And it's kind of funny because this letter, <laughs> this letter is around for a while. It's kind of an important plot point, actually, mm-hmm. um, in Captain America's ongoing narrative. I like that it harkens back to our favorite Sergeant Fury issue, too. You won't remember me, but, but we met in combat during the war. Yeah. Issue, was that 13? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is I don't know how now? he signs it. Does he sign it Captain America or does he sign it Steve Rogers? We don't know because it doesn't show that. But uh, if he signs it Steve Rogers, then Colonel Fury is really going to be like, I don't know who you are. Or you're that guy that I saved in the bar. If they, <laughs> if, if they exchange names, you know. Makes, yeah. Didn't we say that like the name Steve Rogers isn't even mentioned in that issue? It's not. Yeah. He's just like this mysterious person. And, like, the name Steve Rogers had only been heard a couple of times in the comics before that anyway. So, yeah. But this is the first time in Avengers he's Steve Rogers, right? Um, in the Avengers, maybe. Um, he's been Steve Rogers in his own series. 
Well, in flash, yeah, in the flashback World War II stories. Well, like I think, and the very first solo Cap story, he's sitting in Avengers Mansion, mooning over his photo album. Right, and that's the first Silver Age mention of Steve Rogers. Right, but in Avengers, he's always Cap, and now right. he's now they're even calling him Steve, or Iron Man calls him Steve as he dresses up like a Ivy Leaguer and leaves. So that was oh, kind of cool to see. Iron Man called him Steve. And it says in the caption, but of all the Mighty Avengers, only Captain America has no reason to hide his true identity from the others. So he's like the one everybody knows. Oh, that's because, interesting. That's a new development. Why, and, but why not? Because everybody knows Steve Rogers is Captain America because he's history. He right? is. Well, at this point he is. Yeah, that's going to become a thing later. But yeah, at this point, Steve Rogers, I mean, I think it, it could very easily be like in the movie universe. There's like probably museums about Steve Rogers, Captain America. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So for all they know, like, yeah, like they don't know that the I don't know. I'm getting too complicated now. But like, he never he never really needed an identity because if you live in Avengers Mansion, like, what's the worst that could happen to you? And he doesn't have any friends or family or anything. So. Yeah, he needs to get like a driver's license. But yeah, like he doesn't he do have a personal life. Mm-mm. And honestly, that I mean, I've read a lot of Bronze Age Cap, and of course, you read a lot of it too. But like, I have I've never gotten to an era where Steve Rogers as a person is actually an important part of the story. Yeah. Like when I first started reading him in the eighties, he was, he had his own apartment and he had a job and he had a girlfriend and he Mm -hmm. had a super, he had the superhero thing going on, but for the most part, he doesn't. That was like an anomaly. I came to find out later. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they did that and it was successful for a while, but it's not Mm -hmm. something that gets done a lot with Mm -hmm. the character. Um, Look who's in his new costume. Yeah, Giant Man. First time we finally get the blue '50s spacesuit. Right. I think it looks better in his regular co- in his regular series. The Don Heck is weird. This looks more purple than blue. As much as I love Don Heck, he's a bit hit and miss for me on Avengers. Like I like the like this whole business with Cap writing a letter and hanging out, and the whole chase scene with the fedora and the trench coat. That was really awesome looking. But when he draws Thor and stuff, it kind of I don't love it. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's like, like he's not he's not Kirby enough or something. Yeah, Thor needs to be bombastic, and he's not very bombastic in this. Mm-mm. Um, you know, he is Iron Man, the artist, so he does that pretty well. He does people really well. That that crowd scene on page two is pretty beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's good for the normal stuff. Like I liked the Jan and and Hank going out bits. I was just looking at that. that panel too. Yeah, yeah, but he's not great for the over the top Avenger stuff. You know, I was thinking about Steve putting the, you know, Rick's like, pretty clever of you keeping your shield in a large artist portfolio cap. And I'm like, mm-hmm. one day Steve will be keeping artwork in that portfolio. <laughs> right? I like to I think wonder, it's the same one, the same folder. I wonder if that's why they went that way. I don't know. Oh, if that was the inspiration for whoever does that. Is that Grunwald? I want to say it takes that long to finally get to where we're like, oh, yeah, by the way, I've been an artist my whole life. Oh, really? Interesting. You've never I've- mentioned that. I feel like Captain America shows up in a Marvel team-up issue with artwork that he's taking to the Daily Bugle. So it's bef- it's before Marvel team-up folded that he finally got some secret identity stuff. But, but that's still not, early '80s, not '40s, '50s, '60s, '70s. No, none of all that. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, he has a talent we never knew that he's been drawing his whole life. Mm-hmm. And then they'll retcon that to be like you know his job when before he was Cap was to be a mural painter and. You know, like suddenly he's an artist. That's an identity point well, for him. Well, I, I guess it makes sense that if, if you can draw, you have been drawing. We just haven't seen it. I like that they work that into the movies. Mm-hmm. 
It's a cool character. I mean, I when I wanted to grow when I was a kid, I wanted to be an artist. So my hero being an artist was actually pretty awesome. But it is kind of weird that it took so many decades to get to that point. But that's okay. Um, Iron Man plugs into an outlet in this issue. Uh huh. And we haven't seen that in a while because he's always like recharging on the fly. Yeah, we saw Otis Iron Man try and plug into an outlet, but. Mm-hmm. So he does live here. We've asked that before, like, because this is Tony's mansion. It's not Avengers Mansion, although it is Avengers Mansion now, I guess. But do they call it that? I don't know. But we've asked, like, does he actually live in this Avengers Mansion, or is like, is it literally his mansion, and they're just hanging here? I thought we established that it was like a second residence for him. That he doesn't actually live here, but he does seem to be hanging out. Yeah, he's they're like, well, aren't you going to go home, Iron Man? Um, I'm going to tinker some more, and then it cuts to his bedroom. So, yeah. like, he does live here. This is his home. Yeah. Um, why do you think he hides from the others the fact that he needs to recharge his suit? Because wouldn't it make sense that he would need to charge his suit? It's electronics. It needs power. Yeah. He can't charge it as Iron Man. He acts like he has to take it off to become Tony Stark first. Yeah. Which doesn't make sense because that's not true. I could hardly recharge my life-saving chest device in view of the others. That's revealing myself as Tony Stark. Just keep your helmet on, dude. I mean, dude, I'd have a charger at the meeting. You're sitting there anyway. Right? Plug in. <laughs> I know. My iPhone's plugged in right now because I'm not right. using it. So it's just just there. Who cares? Do it. Okay, so last time we saw Zemo was when he sent those assassins after Captain America and Tales of Suspense 60. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, he was working with the Executioner and the Enchantress, and they called Immortus, but then rewrote the time stream and didn't call Immortus. And I would have thought that was enough to make him not want to work with gods anymore, but I guess it wasn't. He's still working with gods. Or them wanting to work with him. That too. Although they do, I think they do have some conversation where they're not sure if they want to, but I can't remember. Maybe I just thought that. And he not only has an in village, a village enslaved, but he also has several Germans still working for him. And I don't know, I get the impression that like, They've been working for this Nazi officer for the last 20 years, maybe. Notice the definitely not swastikas Zs on their armbands. Of all the murderous Nazi war criminals, only Zemo has managed to escape completely. So he's the last one. But it's only a matter of time before the FBI and CIA destroy – the Avengers destroy him. Okay. So speaking of Enchantress and Executioner, I've just thought of this right now. Like, we know why Baron Zemo wants to kill Captain America – because they hate each other, and he tried to already. We know that Black Knight doesn't like Giant Man, and the Melter doesn't like Iron Man. When did the Enchantress and... Oh, I guess they hate Thor, huh? Is that the reason? Is that their motive? Well, Enchantress hates Thor. Um, Them going after the Avengers has always been kind of a weird thing. Like, why are they going after the whole Avengers team? Why is it... I would think Enchantress, being who she is, would just be making machinations to try to get Thor. Like, all the stuff with the Avengers would be be part of that. They're banished to Earth right now is their status, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you'd think she'd just be trying to flirt with Thor, you know, magically. And Executioner just goes along with whatever she says. But, yeah, they really want to kill the Avengers for some reason. It's time to crush the Avengers. My sorcerer's intuition warned me we were being followed. Okay, I'll believe magical senses over female intuition as a superpower any day and twice on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the yeah, wasp. So, go ahead. The wasp gets used. Yeah, she like 
becomes a little spy. But it's kind of funny. Like, she then just appears next to the Avengers later like, I was spying on them the whole time. That's the Melter. I'm not really sure that was helpful. Well, she flies up with the Avengers to try to get the plane. And they get absorbed in the bomb. Mm Mm-hmm. I like to imagine, because they, they talk about her when she's off panel, I've hurled the wasp away, at least she shall be unaffected by the impact. I like to think she keeps on flying after Rick. She eventually she did, yeah. catches up to him and maybe like grabs his jacket or something. So that mm-hmm. if he gets pulled onto the ship, she also gets pulled onto the ship. Yeah, which happened, which is cool. But then later they're attacked by the melter and she's just there like, yeah, it's the melter. It's like, okay, that was a cool spy thing you did. They all oh. know it's the melter because he's attacking them as the melter. So okay, really, yeah. She wasn't that helpful, but it was a cool setup. I yeah, it was a cool I setup. I wish more would have happened. Anywhere. You're right. Um, I love that the Black Knight and the Melter are in jail in their full outfits. We always make fun of that. Um, <laughs> Why are they not wearing prison clothing? <laughs> well, at least in this case, they say we were allowed to keep our armored costumes because a scientist delegation from Washington is on the way to study us, which seems weird and inhumane, but okay. We have no way to stop them poking and prodding. Last time they used an anal probe, and I hated it. <laughs> yep. Um, but then they get released. Chef, what's an anal probe? Okay. XL750. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Or did I mess that up? That sounds right. I don't remember. What, I'm trying to find the... The plane? The part where he summons it. The XL750 rocket plane. Now, up until now, they've done a lot of like renting helicopters mm-hmm. or renting things. This is Tony Stark's paper airplane. It looks like a paper airplane to me. But the XL750, this is like the is this like the precursor to the Quinjet idea? Like they have a personal Avengers jet that Tony Stark invented? Maybe, because they definitely need some like transport. You're right, they mm-hmm. didn't have a helicopter and Giant Man wrecked it. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we've seen a like a cool ship. The Quinjet is like still a long ways off in the future, but they do need to have some sort of transport, and having a Tony Stark jet makes more sense than anything else. It's a total no-brainer. I'm amazed it took until issue 15 to realize that Tony Stark probably has awesome vehicles for them to be using. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's weird sometimes how long it takes them to do something. Um, there's a bit where Captain America has to stop himself from going insane. Uh-huh. Like, they kidnap Rick Jones, and Captain America's like, they've got Rick, if anything happens to that boy. And in the next panel, okay, how quickly can we get that plane, Iron Man? And, and Iron Man's like, he's regained control of himself. Good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's good when Captain America can stop himself from going insane. It reminded me of two things. One, it reminded me of Avengers 4, where he sees Rick for the first time, and he goes insane thinking it's Bucky. Mm-hmm. And then Rick's like, you're weird. He's, and he pulls himself together. And, and he's Rick's got that like, one panel where he's like, Looking in shocked horror at the uh-huh. panel. Oh, my God, I've got an America. Yeah, but then he's like – and then Rick's like, oh, wow, he really snapped back. And now he's all like commanding and whatever. That was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it also reminds me of, you know, the wasp dying and giant man going crazy and the thing we just read where uh, uh, Sue gets kidnapped and Reed Richards goes crazy. And it's kind of that joke like with Batman like, uh, you know, oh, no, they captured Lois. Oh, no, they captured, uh, you know, my girlfriend. Oh, no, they captured Robin. Right. Right. I don't know. It's kind of funny. There's a bit of the beginning. At last, Marvel answers those who have claimed the Avengers never wage a fight to the finish. So they're like, somebody's going to die in this. And then page 12, Iron Man is fighting the Melter. And he says, 
Okay, Melter, wave the white flag or my transistor forceway will hurl you from here to kingdom come. And he blasts at the Melter, misses, and tears a piece of the tower off. Uh-huh. Like, that's a death threat. And he's fighting, he's firing lethal force rays at this guy. Yeah. Is that true that the Avengers have never finished a fight? Like, I'm kind of thinking back now. Like, I know the Masters of Evil always get away. Well, I think the fight to the finish was like a euphemism for killing their bad guys. Oh, people want the Avengers to kill a bad guy? That's kind of weird. I mean, the Fantastic Four have killed Doctor Doom a number of times. He just keeps on not dying. Or he kills himself by being stupid. But yeah, I was just wondering if they meant like they haven't actually successfully apprehended a bad guy. Because I kind of feel like they haven't. You could be right. That's and worth the, going back. Yeah, because bad guys always get away in comics, right? Well, especially now, which might not be fair to the Avengers, because initially, like, Fantastic Four were bagging and tagging people. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we want to reuse this villain, so he better escape. Okay, so so let's think about um Actually, I'm going to bring up, because I'm just going to do this now, right in the middle of the podcast. We're going to look at the sequence it. of Avengers issues and whom – have they fought? Um, Loki. Series gallery. Loki and Hulk both get away. Space Phantom gets away. Hulk Maybe and Submariner. They get away. Yep. Broccoli-headed alien gets Is, away. Isn't a bad guy. Yeah. Lava Man. Get away. Zemo and the Masters of Evil. Yep. Um, Zemo, Enchantress, and Executioner. They set up the thing with Thor. And everyone gets away. Kang. Kang gets away. Wonder Man gave his life. But they didn't but, beat him. But he also gave his life being a hero with them, and the Masters of Evil got away. Right. Immortus. Gets away. Doesn't even exist. Right. Um, Kang's robot Spider-Man is a robot. But he did get stopped, but he got stopped by Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. he Spider-Man stopped Spider-Man, not the <laughs> Avengers. <laughs> My God, this is the worst. Um, uh, now, I, don't, I don't remember what happened in 12. Was that the one with the Mole Man for no reason? Yes, yes, and he always gets away. Right. Even the Fantastic Four haven't captured him. Count Nefaria. Did he get away? Yeah. Saving the Wasp's life in issue 14. They all um, got away. The, the aliens got yeah. away. Oh, my God. They have never successfully stopped a bad guy. Right. My wow. goodness. How funny. So much for vengeance, right? (laughs) (laughs) We're avenging nothing. (laughs) We're really bad at our name. (laughs) This is why we need a roster change. Um, Okay, so I had read it as being like a fight to the finish as as a euphemism for killing a bad guy. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. and and I feel like that's the tone in this issue is like, you know, Iron Man's making death threats. Captain America's really mad at Zemo, both for killing Bucky and for capturing and, you know, potentially going to kill Rick. Um so I feel like we are looking for somebody to die in this issue. But that's a weird thing to request of Avengers. Like, are they writing into Fantastic Four saying they're not killing enough? I don't know. I don't Fighting know. to the finish. I just thought they meant, like, actually wrapping something up because... And, like, turning somebody over to the cops or something. Yeah, they don't actually defeat anybody ever. It's weird. Page 14, the Murray Marvel Marching Society is on the uh, theater marquee. Oh, nice. Yep. And Wasp trips the Executioner. That's cool. Yes. I also like the uh, Don Heck panel technique of like seeing the crowd through Giant Man's weird 
helmet eyes. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like with larger eyes, what does that do to his focus? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have no idea how that's going to affect your ability to like take in visual data. Good point. I don't know. Okay, so with Paige, with with Captain America going after Zemo, mm-hmm. um, I think it's important to note that Captain America says he's going to kill this guy. Mm-hmm. The fact that Zemo stupidly shoots down his own avalanche is beside the point. Captain America is intending to kill Dr. Zemo. And nothing wrong with that. It's kind of like whenever um, Superman kills Cyborg Superman. Like, that was totally his intention. He totally killed Cyborg Superman. The fact that Cyborg Superman survived is beside the point. Superman killed a guy. Captain America killed a guy. Captain America is going to go kill a Nazi. That seems like his bread and butter to me. So Yeah, yeah. Like, like this shouldn't be a big deal. It's just in modern day comic sensibilities. It's like, oh my gosh, heroes can't kill. I hate yeah. that. I hate yeah, the heroes Yeah, I kind of hate that thing. too. I think it depends. And this is obviously a war criminal. So yeah. well, let's go stop him. But yeah, we, um, we're in the middle of a battle between the Avengers and the Masters of Evil. It feels a little weird that that doesn't get a final dramatic moment, but this is definitely a cliffhanger. Dr. Zemo is dead, and we get an advertisement teasing a lineup change. I wonder what kids thought yeah. of that. Yeah, and, and we don't know what happens with uh, you know the Avengers fighting the rest of them. So should be fun, that, that number 16. Number 16, going to be a big deal. Going to be a big deal. So that takes us over to Spidey, right? Yep. Spider-Man, Spider-Man goes insane like a spider can. Um, Spider-Man goes mad. Amazing Spider-Man 24. Mighty script by Stan Lee. Powerful art by Steve Ditko. A lot of lettering by Sam Rosen. I guess there is a lot of lettering. Um, All right. So Peter Parker realizes they are running out of money and he needs to pay for, um, you know, stuff and Aunt May's not currently taking any medication or anything. They just need to pay for life. So he decides he's going to set out to take some photos of some crimes. He has a really hard time finding one. He finally finds some guys picking a warehouse. So he goes down and punches them out. But then Foswell shows up and Peter's like, Foswell's going to know that Peter Parker wasn't at that robbery. So he can't use the photos from the robbery. Well, I'm on my way to the Daily Bugle. I might as well go and see Betty, and I'll just hide from Jameson. So he goes to see Betty, and he hides from Jameson. And he finds a letter on the floor that is addressed to Ned Leeds, the reporter who is in Europe. Betty's evidently still writing to him, and he's like, I got this letter here. And she's like, oh, um, yeah, you know, Ned's lonely in Europe, and I just thought I'd try to be friendly. And he's like fine whatever why should i be angry that some that my girl is writing some other fella i've got to go now regards to your pen pal blah 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 so he storms out and uh, he keeps looking for crimes because um he needs to get pictures um he decides to head home before aunt may gets home foswell and jameson talk about the bad guys and Let's see. Oh, Jameson decides he's going to get other people's opinions about how rotten Spider-Man is. So he sends a reporter out into the streets and the reporter is definitely slanting his interviews. Do you want the name of the picture in the paper or not? Uh, okay, give me a moment. I'll think about some reason why I hate Spider-Man. So we get all these quotes about why people hate Spider-Man. Flash Thompson hears about this and goes after the guy. Let me tell you about how great Spider-Man is. You better print that too. And the guy's like, I'm out of tape. I gotta go. Um, Liz talks to Peter about how she's not doing so well in her science class. And Peter, could you please tutor me? And Flash is like, hey, Liz, I'm cool. 
And she's like, yeah, whatever, Flash. And Peter's like, sorry, you can't talk to your girlfriend, Flash. Meanwhile, um, Professor Ludwig Reinhardt shows up at the offices of the Daily Bugle. And he says that he is a psychiatrist all the way from Europe. And he wants to investigate Spider-Man because he thinks that Spider-Man's ego and id are in conflict. And they're just going to drive him insane. And Jameson's like, that makes so much sense. Spider-Man's going to go bonkers. And uh, so he starts printing uh, articles and Peter starts seeing the articles. And now Peter starts wondering um, if this trained psychiatrist, educated man of knowledge thinks that Spider-Man's going to go crazy. Maybe I'm actually going to go crazy. In fact, I'm feeling a little crazy right now. Um, so he calls Betty to get information about the psychiatrist. He goes to talk to the psychiatrist. He runs into Flash Thompson. He changes to Spider-Man. Uh, while he's swinging around as Spider-Man, though, he starts seeing his bad guys. Dr. Octopus just, like, shows up on a roof. Spider-Man goes to punch him, and he disappears. Sandman comes up out of the roof, um, and he goes to punch Sandman, and Sandman disappears. The Vulture shows up in the air. He goes to punch the Vulture, and the Vulture disappears. And he's like, oh, my gosh, all my bad guys are showing up and disappearing. I must really be going crazy. He goes home, and May's like, Peter, dear, you're around. And Peter's like, I can't let Aunt May see me when I'm crazy. So he dashes out the door, and she's like, oh, no, he's such a teenager. Why is he running out like that? So Spider-Man goes to Reinhardt's office, and office is, like, the, the furniture is upside down. The room is upside down. Everything looks like it's sitting on the ceiling. And Dr. Reinhardt's like, wait, Spider-Man, I can take care of you. Um, and so Spider-Man realizes he must be going crazy. He lays down on the couch. Uh, Reinhardt starts asking him questions, but Spider-Man starts seeing his bad guys showing up again, and he's all confused and distressed. Um, meanwhile, Foswell has been doing his due diligence as a reporter and investigating their sources. And he has some bad news for Jameson. There's no such doc, there's no such person as Dr. Ludwig Reinhardt. Uh, it's all a complete made up identity. And Jameson's like, Oh no, I'll be a laughing stock again. Meanwhile, Betty Brant just wants to go home, but they've got to like run new editions because they've got to apologize for everything. Flash Thompson sees Jameson rocking down the sidewalk toward Ludwig Reinhardt's house, catches up to him. Hey, Jameson, I don't like what you've been printing in your paper about my pal Spidey. And Jameson's like, fine, write me a letter. So Jameson gets to Reinhardt's house. Flash follows him to Reinhardt's house. Spider-Man is in Reinhardt's house. And Reinhardt's like, you know you can trust me, don't you? You're not the only one who can help you. You have to reveal who you are so you don't have this split personality. And Spider-Man's like, I, I guess that makes sense. If I could just not lose my mind, I, I'll take off my mask. And that's when Jameson barges in. Reinhardt, I want to talk to you, you phony. I found out all about you. You're no doctor. You've got no license. You're a fraud. And Spider-Man realizes that um, Reinhardt is a fraud. He runs out of the room, chases Reinhardt to another room, and notices that all the furniture has been glued or screwed into the ceiling. He grabs Reinhardt and accidentally pulls off Reinhardt's face and recognizes the face of his old enemy, Mysterio. Mysterio's like, I just wanted revenge. It made me feel so stupid last time. So I thought I'd like, you know, make you think you were crazy and discredit you. And I almost had you unmasked too. And then Jameson ruined everything. And Jameson's like, I ruined everything? You almost had him beaten? Oh, I'm the jerk of the world. And Flash Thompson's like, neener, neener, neener. <laughs> 
So then Peter Parker goes to school and talks to Liz. She's all flirty with them. Um, he goes home and sees his Aunt May. And she's like, oh, I, I hope you're all better now. You you ran away earlier. And I get so worried about you, Peter. And, and Peter's like, there's a girl in the room, Aunt May. Gosh. And so Peter and Liz go off to study for science. And um, Peter's like, oh, wait a second. This whole adventure started because I need to earn money for Aunt May. We still don't have any money. Crap. <laughs> Waste of an issue. He didn't right. even solve the problem. Jeez. Didn't even solve the problem. Mysterio, but he never dresses as Mysterio. What a bummer. It's weird, right? Yeah, I didn't love that it was Mysterio. I kind of thought it could be Mysterio, because who else could it be? Mm-hmm. But I was also kind of hoping it'd be something different, because I wasn't really sure. And then it was Mysterio. It was Mysterio. And, like, no cool triangle fishbowl Mysterio, so... um this one gets blended in my brain with another issue where there was another issue where spider-man like temporarily thinks he's going crazy and Uh um thinks about going to see a psychiatrist and then he's like wait a second if i just say whatever comes to my head i'm probably just going to start talking about whatever comes to my head and that means giving away my secret identity so he decides not to do that Oh, we've covered that one, right? Yeah, we've covered that one. That was earlier. It's a brief yeah. moment in an earlier issue. Yeah, that that made it on the cover, and it sounded like it was going to be awesome, and then it was like two panels. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that was the Kickstarter for this idea, though. Yeah, I feel like they like had that earlier. Like, I I think I can do more with that idea. Mm-hmm. It always feels weird to me when a hero bemoans the fact that there's no crime he can stop. <laughs> well, in his case, that's his bread and butter, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I like I get that, but it still feels like the priorities are mixed up a little bit. <laughs> right. I wish somebody could just get mugged or assaulted, but I can. <laughs> Isn't can I find a decent murder? Right. Um, I don't know what issue it was, but I know it involved the vulture. But like one of my favorite early Betty and Peter scenes is like the issue ends with them like on the floor after Vulture destroys the mm-hmm. Daily Bugle and they're just like chilling and making fun of J. Jonah Jameson and being boyfriend right. girlfriend. That was issue this, seven. That was their first little romantic yeah. moment. Well, this page four reminds me of that for a little while. Mm-hmm. Like the fun they're having hiding him behind the desk and stuff. And I miss the old them. And then, of course, the Ned Leeds thing rears its ugly head and ruins everything. But Yeah, and I was thinking about how different Peter looks nowadays compared to early Steve Ditko drawings of Peter. Yeah, he does look even more different in this. Yeah. It's like they, they changed his eyes or something. His hair is different. His face is different. I mean, early on, he was definitely like a Steve Ditko self portrait. Mm-hmm. And he's just not that anymore. Steve Ditko has definitely changed the guy's look over time. Um, and at first, I thought this was the same letter as last time. But I know oh, there yeah. have been multiple letters. So we're getting the passage of time. So it's funny, like the first time the letter was introduced, I think you and I talked about anxiety and how Peter was like, coming up with 800 different negative reasons why Betty didn't tell him about the letter. Mm-hmm. Whereas whereas from Betty's point of view, she just forgot, you know? Right. And then in this one, another emotion is ringing true with me, consumed by a nagging jealousy and hating himself for it. Yes. It's like, oh, I understand that one quite a bit too because I think there's people who get jealous and feel justified and then there's people like me who feel jealous but also know logically that it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But you like still you've can't got these stop. feelings, but you can't. You, you yeah, can't stop it still them. hurts your stomach, but you like also logic your way out of it. So I totally that that caption resonated with me too. So like you know, I don't know. This whole Spider-Man thing really connects sometimes. 
I feel like it might have been Ditko's intention that this was the original letter, that it's like just the same letter and continuing the story, but like Stanley's script changes that. Mm. We go with what we have. And so, so yeah, spinning off of what you said, some potentially interesting things here. She totally intended to tell him about that letter, but Mm -hmm. now she's obviously feeling guilty. And writing him back. Right. So it seems to me that like while her explanation probably describes the beginning of why she was writing to him, you see, he just wrote to me and he said he was so lonely in Europe being a stranger there and all that. Like that's probably why she started writing to him. Mm-hmm. But now there's something about her correspondence with him that's making her feeling guilty to Peter. Like maybe her emotional investment in that interchange in exchange is, is increasing more than she thinks it should. And I'm still not sure how dedicated to Peter she should be because the soap opera with them is so like all over the place. Like I can't figure out if they're even legit dating half the time. Yeah. It's, it's really rocky. It keeps on coming back to a place of even keel just long enough to get rocked up again. Mm-hmm. Um, because they had all the jealousy stuff with Liz. It's been a few months since then. Um, so theoretically they've, they've had some time to be together, but it still seems like they're always getting shaken up. Yeah. So I don't know if Betty's in the right or wrong here to be rubbing Ned in his face or not. Cause maybe they're not even all that serious. I don't know. But then yeah, he gets really upset. He only seems to be serious when he can't have her, <laughs> which is, you know, <laughs> I guess that's a male thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Possessiveness mm-hmm. comes with relationships. I think on both sides, but still. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Cause she feels the same way. Anytime he's walking with Liz, like, she gets crazy too. So, so you get this whole thing where uh, Jameson starts interviewing people on the streets about Spider-Man. And I've talked a little bit about it before, but I've, I've often felt that Stan Lee, maybe more than Ditko, because I don't think Ditko is like this, but Lee writes Jameson and the Daily Bugle as a pastiche on bias in media reporting. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is, turns into. This turns into a very strong example of getting slanted, biased views in the media. Which, again, makes me wonder, like, how respectable the Daily Bugle is or has ever been. hmm Because I was never sure. It was just the Spider-Man where they go trash or are they trash about everything? Do people actually read them like they're the New York Times or does it is it more like a, you know, uh, a guilty pleasure newspaper? I think in what? modern comics, the Daily Bugle's reputation is a bit more tarnished. But my impression is that it's like a leading newspaper during this time. Like people read the Daily Bugle yeah. and they believe the Daily Bugle. Yeah. Well, and nowadays we do have those kind of slanted views on very, very, um, you know, big newspapery and uh, newsroom kind of places. So it's actually not out of order anymore. But I don't know. In 1965, was it just weird for a paper to be so slanted or was that also normal? Or maybe the idea of bias in media that rep- that newspapers don't actually report the truth. They actually report a version of the truth mm-hmm. was still like not really a public awareness like it is now. Mm-hmm. But speaking of biased views on stuff, we get to the whole thing with Dr. Reinhardt. Okay. Yeah. Dr. Reinhardt's explanation of Spider-Man. Now I am not trained in psychology, but I hear what he's saying, and I feel like he's just saying gobbledygook. He wants to be a spider, but of course he's a human. 
it is only a matter of time before his id and his ego get so confused that he forgets who he really is. Like, well, first of all, why do you think he wants to be a spider? Where did that come from? You know? Right. And like mm. the id and the ego, you're the, the lower aspects of your consciousness versus your, you know, more rational aware parts of your consciousness. I, I, I don't know. Um, on the other hand, he's talking to J. Jonah Jameson, who will eat up anything that's negative about Spider-Man. So, well, like Jameson believes it, and Peter believes it, and so you have this like this acceptance of what a psychiatrist says, even if the psychiatrist is not making sense. Mm-hmm. So it almost feels like Lee is painting a portrait of psychiatrists don't make sense, but people believe <laughs> them anyway, right? Yeah, that could be. Which seems like a very 1965 view towards psychology. Hell, it was a 1985 view towards psychology. Because remember whenever, like, remember whenever psychiatric medicine, like, really started to take off with a way of managing mental illness in children and, like, ADHD and everything and how much bias there was against the idea? And nowadays, putting, you know, giving your teenagers medication to help them with their ADHD, their anxiety, their depression, this is like, almost a standard aspect of parenting nowadays. Yeah. And but, Peter, Peter is worried about this before he even starts seeing the illusions. Right. He just, because the psychiatrist says Spider-Man's going to crack up. He's like, psychiatrist said it must mm-hmm. be true. Yep. I like this bit where Aunt May's like, don't read that. It'll give you nightmares. And he's like, um, but why? I'm not Spider-Man. She's like, you know, cause it's alarming and you're impressionable. Oh, <laughs> like I thought she thought I was Spider-Man for a second there. Don't it may. What are you doing? Yeah. Okay. Projections on brick walls and thinking that they're real. I don't like that. So in my mind, these creatures are projecting like 3d holographic images. Right. Uh, yeah. And he doesn't ever mention anything about how his spider sense is not going off or anything like that either, which I wish they had said something, but Yeah. I can sort of buy that because he's so like high strung right now that he's not paying mm-hmm. attention to everything. But, but yeah, he should so, not be reacting to this stuff. Kudos to Ditko. He drew the cat and I actually just thought, oh, cool. little detail, a cat and didn't mm-hmm. really think about it. But then later there was a bat and it's like, okay, well that's weird. Something's wrong. But yeah, then it turned out the bat and the cat were robots, but I thought that was a cool, cool little bit. Yeah. That's one thing I was going to ask you is if you picked up on that before the reveal at the end. Cause I think, um, as a kid, I bought it the first time, like I always do. I, I didn't pick up on the cat. I thought he was just being cool and drawing an alley cat. And then, but the bat was like, that seems weird that there's just a bat flying around in New York. I thought that was a, supposed to be an optical illusion, but he never commented on it. So then I started wondering. Um, the bit with Liz at the end nicely sets up a bit next issue, which is like one of my favorite bits in all of Ditko Spider-Man. There's a there's a fantastic scene in issue 25, mm-hmm. and it's 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 sort of a follow up to this. Liz is described as the reluctant girlfriend of Flash Thompson. Yeah, in this, and it's like, and she totally blows him off in this. Like she's been blowing him off since she's been into Peter. So it's like, why is she considered his girlfriend anymore? Other than like it's just the law that she has to date him or something. Like it's weird. So it makes me wonder if they're still seeing each other 
But then anytime Peter shows up, she always blows off Flash. And that's why that's why Flash is still getting mad because like yeah. just last night they were parking over on Lover's Lane, but now she's talking to Peter. So I'm thinking Liz is not a very nice person. If that's what's going on. If that's what's going on, Liz is definitely <sighs> But then it makes you wonder, like, sixties dating and how it's portrayed <laughs> as know. this like really weird, non exclusive th- I don't know. I don't, I don't get it either. It's just a big romance. I'm sure like if we were reading the teen romance comics, it would be all this. So Right, right. They're just and, trying to put that into Spider-Man. And we know that once you meet a girl and like she responds to you, y'all are gonna get married. Yeah, unless you're Flash Thompson and Liz, I guess. I guess. I like they're 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 having major problems because you know this is how this works. Foggy meets uh crap, Karen, and like is gonna propose to her in the second issue, so yeah. So I feel like, I mean, I know that Aunt May's worried about Peter and his puniness before, but like, I feel like she's being more, a little more proactive in like being suspicious of him. So that could probably down the road be a problem. Yeah. For, for his secret identity. In this issue, she's really like, what is bothering him? Where did he go? What is he doing? I need to Cotton figure this out. Yeah. Does she, when she finds out he's Spider Man, it's not an I've always, yes, it is. Yes, it is. In issue 400, she reveals that she's known he's Spider-Man for a really long time. So I would really like someone to say when that happened. Like, when does Aunt May find out that he he's Spider-Man? You Spider-Man nuts out there, Dr. Spidey, Ethan Parker, Donovan Grant, if you're listening, everyone out there who really knows your Spider-Man lore, do we know when Aunt May figured it out? Yeah, because we know, we know when, like, Mary Jane figured it out. Right. That's That gets revealed. Mm-hmm. She already knows. <laughs> she already knows before they even met. Yeah. Yeah. That would okay. be interesting. I don't think she knows now. She doesn't seem like she knows now. No, I don't, I don't think she would either. In fact, like throughout the seventies, I would feel weird if Aunt May already knew he was Spider-Man, but like once he moves out and their relationship becomes a bit more um, secondary to his life, maybe she figures it out then. Maybe he's always running out to go do Spider-Man things. Eventually, you know, Maybe Nathan Lebensky tells her or something. I don't at know. S- at some point, there are times when she uses Spider-Man as a reason for Peter Parker to buck up. Like, even if that horrible Spider-Man can be brave, you can be brave too, you know? And when she starts saying stuff like that, I always thought it's because she knew he was Spider-Man. So she was like, nudge, nudge, wink, winking him. Wink, wink, of. nudge, nudge. But that but seems like she, an 80s thing. Yeah. And this Spider-Man, this, this Aunt May is so high strung and so nervous. I can't really see her. Mm. being aware because because she's nervous off whenever peter's not around like mm-hmm. it's not just a front we see it in this issue that like whenever whenever peter's having problems she's having problems like spider-man 2 of the sam raimi stuff remember when like they're at the garage sale and she's like me and what's his face really miss spider-man being around and she looks at peter like hello oh uh, yeah you know that those kind of conversations i always thought that's when she knew but i don't know when those start after we finish our x-men run we should do a spider-man run yeah, in that our, would in be our awesome. Not comics. Oh yeah, that'd be really fun. Um, someone We're gonna find a Spider Sarah Century. Yeah, someone was talking on on um, on Twitter about how they were going to do a Spider Man marathon this weekend, and they were going to watch everything from the first Raimi film up through Far From Home, and just like do a marathon. I was like, that'd be fun. That would be fun and not that bad either, because it's not right. that many. Four, five, six movies, I guess. Right. If you just do the solo films and don't include his showing up in other book in other movies, yeah. One, oh. two, three, four, five from Garfield, 
Six, then, seven, seven solo films. And then Silver War and Infinity War, if you wanted to throw those on there. And Endgame, I guess. Yeah, if you want to throw those in. So potentially ten, but mainly seven. Spider-Verse? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, but yeah, I guess I'd throw that in for sure. That was yeah, great. It's one of the better ones, right? Absolutely. We already covered it, but do it again. All right. So guess what? A, guess what? February is wrapped. Oh, yeah. That means we've got to choose. Mm-hmm. We have to make our choices. Okay. This, yeah, now the spreadsheet. This is a good tough one, I think. Unlike last month, which I recall was hard to find a good one, I think. Right. This one, I think I have the good one already, and it's the bad one that might be hard to find. Okay. Should I run through them? Yeah. All right. We have, not necessarily in the order we discussed them, um, the first week of the month had Daredevil 7, where he gets his new costume and fights Namor. We have Journey into Mystery 115 with the Vengeance of the Thunder God, where he goes up against the Absorbing Man and then heads off to face the Trial of the Gods with a Viper in our midst in the backup. We have Tales to Astonish 67, the mystery of the hidden man and his rays of doom. But then the Hulk storyline is where strides the behemoth, where he basically like says goodbye to the um, armies that he's fighting and decides to go be written by Jack Kirby instead. Um, then we have Amazing Spider-Man 24. This begins the second week of releases. Uh, that's what we just talked about. Uh, we have the Avengers 15, which we just talked about. We have the Fantastic Four 38, which we just talked about. Sergeant Fury 17, while the jungle sleeps, where they have to um, go get a guy from the um, African nation in that jungle, the unnamed nation that we don't know who they are. Strange Tales 132 with the sinister space trap in the front and then face to face at last with Baron Mordo in the back and tales of suspense 65 when titans clash with iron man versus iron man and the red skull strikes in the backup well my worst could be strange tales except it had that really cute panel so i'm going to give it to giant man because the hidden man and his ray of doom was stupid it was and i'm going Uh, to agree with you on that and the favorite is going to be Fantastic Four 38, I think. I don't know. That was really solid. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really good issue. And while I like a lot of the Spider-Man issue and it has some fun moments, I don't think that it stands up to that one. I also like the Avengers. So, But Fantastic Four was better, I think. Yeah, so I was trying to think. Is there anything that I would put above the Fantastic Four? Um, I did not like the Daredevil as much as you did. I like the Daredevil too. Yeah, that could have been a could see all those up there. Yeah, that's one, two, three, four, four books that I thought were pretty good. And honestly, uh, Iron Man and Captain America. Oh were yeah, really good this month. Also great. I don't like. I kind of don't want to pick the Cap ones because I feel like it's cheating because they're. You should pick Cap when it's when you like the Cap issues. No, no, not cheating because I like Cap, but cheating on Stan's part that he's just swiping Joe Simon stories and. Redrawing uh, yeah. them. Like, well, at least you know, we're done with that. At least that was the last yeah. one today. Yeah, last I kind of want to wait till it's original stories and then I'll vote for them if I like them. Okay, that makes sense. Um, there are some good contenders for top stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to give it to the Avengers. Really? Okay. Killing Dr. Zemo. Mm-hmm. Captain America going after him. 
that's a pretty big moment it is for this early avengers and to me it's like one of the most important parts of early avengers continuity is this 1516 two-parter so um you know, but I also feel like it's actually not as good as Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of not. It's kind of not. Um, I think I think FF is better drawn, and I think it's just a more solid, straightforward, you know, crusher of a story with an awesome cliffhanger. Yeah, you twist my arm. It is. It is Fantastic Four. You're right. Yeah, that is that is the one I enjoyed the most. All right, so we agreed two months in a row. I think this is weird. That is very weird. We got to stop okay. doing that. Next month, yeah. we'll next month we'll argue more. Yeah, we'll fight it out. If we're going to agree, it's because you have to like beat me up or something. All right. So, um, what do we have next episode? I've already read one of them. <laughs> you have okay. Next episode, we have X Men number eleven, which is I don't know what that's. Oh, it's called the Triumph of Magneto, but I don't see Magneto on the cover, so that's interesting. It's we got Journey into Mystery number one sixteen, which is of course the Trial of the Gods that was you know teased on the last issue, and Tales to Astonish sixty eight, which is a two story. We got the Peril from the Past. Someone has knocked out Giant Man from the looks of it, and Back from the Dead. I don't even know who's supposed to be dead, but it's either Hulk, Talbot, Leader, Bruce Banner, General Ross, Betty Ross, or Rick Jones, because they're all on the cover. Or maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's back with that. Maybe they think Bruce Banner's dead. I kind of love that cover, though. Like, both panels on that cover are pretty great. Yeah, it is really cool looking. Um, Watch the Giant Man story be dumb, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, no, no. That's where Jack Kirby takes over Giant Man for his last two stories. No way. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why the cover is so awesome, by the way, because it's Jack Kirby. It's a Jack Kirby cover. It It is, but it ain't weird. Anyway, we can talk about that next week. All right. Um, Well, you should definitely uh, tweet at us and Facebook at us. Uh, We appreciate all of you out there who are following us on Twitter. Um, Retweet our episodes. Share our posts on Facebook, which I need to start doing more often. um, And like the show there. Uh, how can they, how can they get in touch with us and find the show and all that? If you want to find us on Facebook and Twitter, you can go to makearsmarvel.com. You'll see the big two icons for that. You'll also see links to all the feeds for whatever way you play a podcast, or you could just search directly make ours Marvel. And on the website, there is a form you can submit to send us a message or an email, or you could just write directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com. We've had a few coming in, so we'll probably be doing another uh, mailbag episode soon where we read and comment on anything you send us. So get those in. Well, I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. I have a website, johnreadscomics.com, that has my Image Comics podcast, um, All the Pouches, and Image Comics podcast, which is also on Twitter, at All the Pouches. Um, my other podcast that I do besides those is Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, which is coming out Thursdaily. There was a new episode just yesterday. You should go check that out. Uh, that is on Twitter at tfuk podcast or on the internet at tfukpodcast.com many thanks to michael kaiser this guy Mm -hmm. here right next to me for helping me get that website set up and doing all the hosting and all that i always appreciate it um no problem that's the easy part you have to do the hard work yeah you know write things up and and record the shows and and make it look pretty and all that fun stuff 
I never promised it'd be pretty. (laughs) 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 But happily, WordPress is able to basically set everything up. You just got to plug a few things in. So um, that's good. You should definitely go follow that. Let's Talk Wanda is my um, tweet blog about the Scarlet Witch. We're going to be talking about her next episode. So you can go find my my more detailed Wanda thoughts over there. Although I do bring the highlights to this show as well. So yeah, that's all out there. And, um, I guess that's our episode. Yeah. That's our month. February, 1965 in the can. Yes, it is off to March. So until they bring back Zemo as his son, make ours marvel. marvel.